Hello everyone, and welcome to Whistle in the Dark. <laughs> Sorry, it's me, it's April. Uh, let's do this. Hey there, and welcome to episode two of Whistle in the Dark, a feel-good podcast about all things terrifying. In it, I'm going to interview friends about supernatural experiences, discuss irrational fears, and feature immersive radio drama-style storytelling. On this week's episode, my friend Joy is going to tell us all about the haunted vineyard she worked at. But first, here's a story about an existential crisis I had while trying to pee in the desert. A spooky one. Okay, let's go. I've never been a big fan of camping. I guess in theory, I understand the appeal of being off the grid, one with nature and all that. But the reality is that it's either too hot or too cold, there are bugs everywhere, and you need to dig a hole in order to poop. But in November of 2020, I was desperate to get out of the city, and my friend invited me to Joshua Tree. So off we went, camping in the desert in the wintertime. When we arrived, all of the main campground was full, so we ended up in overflow campground, which was basically like stepping into a Mad Max movie. People shooting off fireworks, guns in the distance, and tearing around on junk cars. One even rushed our campsite on the first night. So, not ideal. On the second night, things were a bit calmer, but my ability to sleep in a tent had not improved. It was freezing, but at the same time, I found the tent to be a little claustrophobic. Plus, I kept having to pee. So about an hour after everyone else had fallen asleep, I decided to get out and use my newly found skills at peeing in the wild. I walked a bit east of the campground, found some shrubs, did my thing, then began to walk back. I'm walking, and walking, and walking, and I realize, somehow, I overshot the campground. But I couldn't have. I walked back in the exact direction I came from, didn't I? Could I have passed right by it? No, I haven't overshot it. How long had I been walking? It's up ahead. No, stop. Stop walking. You're lost. You're now lost, and you've been walking for too long. At this point, the panic sets in. In my haste to do my business, I only grabbed my phone, which doesn't have a particularly powerful flashlight, and on top of that, I didn't put on my glasses. I am extremely nearsighted, so I'm standing in a black void with no depth perception. Now what? I start shouting my friends' names, but I'm met with silence. Should I try calling them? Doesn't look like I have service. We're out in the middle of the desert after all. My breathing quickens, my heart picks up its pace, and my anxiety brain kicks in. What if something else is going on here? How did I miss the campground? Maybe I didn't. Maybe I walked back in the direction I came, but into another dimension. Nope, that's not it. But maybe weird things happen in the desert. Okay, you need to focus. What are you going to do? Worst case scenario, you pop a squat and shiver for a few hours until the sun comes up. But what if the sun never comes up? What if you're stuck out here in the darkness all alone forever? That's ridiculous. Is it though? Okay, check your phone again. I look at my phone and see a bar. Immediately, I call my friend Fiona, who I'm sharing a tent with. And no answer. I hang up and, with no other recourse, begin shouting my friend's names again. I'm starting to lose hope. Then suddenly, it's Fiona calling me back. I answer in the most melodramatic way possible. Hello? April? Yeah, I went out to pee and I got lost. I don't know where I am. Okay, hold on, hold on. Can you see me? I just turned my flashlight on. No, I didn't bring my glasses. Okay, I'm waving it. I do see a couple of lights in the distance, but I have no idea how far they are, or if they were always there. No movement, either. 
How far did I walk? I can't tell. I, I don't know what I'm looking at. April can't find her way back. Okay, Matt and Haley are waving their flashlights too. Can you see? I, I think I see something. I start to register some faint movement, but at the same time, another light, a red one, turns on to the left of the others. Are you the red light? No, they're white. Hold on. Can you see me now? I'm waving really big. Oh, I see it. Okay. I book it towards that campsite. Stay on the phone with me. I am. I just fell. I had never fully put my sneakers on. It's okay. Just keep coming. At this point, I'm fully aware that I've turned into a child trying to walk for the first time. But I do not care. I just want to get back to the campsite. I keep picturing that old trope of running toward the lights and never making it, staying just out of reach forever. But finally, I do. And I basically collapse in relief, still heaving. A year of sitting at home had really affected my stamina. I take a moment to look around. Three white lights. No red. We settle down and all get back to sleep. Or attempt to, anyway. And I never appreciated that tent more. The next morning, we were discussing my little adventure. Haley told me that, when she woke up and heard Fiona talking to me over the phone, that I sounded so far away, like, and I quote, you were in another dimension. <laughs> Ridiculous. Who would think that? I then asked the question that's been on my mind. Who was shining that red light? No one seemed to know what I was talking about, so I figured it must have been James, the other person in our group who hadn't woken up yet. We pack up to go home, have a scary moment with a swollen propane tank, get in our separate cars, and drive away. When Fiona and I realize, James never mentioned the events of the night before. So Fiona calls him. Hey. James, did you know April got lost last night? You did, didn't you? You turned on the red light. Uh, I never woke up. Okay, look. I know it was probably nothing. There was probably a red light there to begin with. But, in my anxiety brain, it was the devil. You know what, on second thought, it definitely was. You were right. I always am. So I have my friend Joy with me here. Welcome to the closet. Thank you. Happy to be <laughs> in your massive closet that's bigger than many studio apartments in LA. Feeling very socially distantly safe in your closet with you. <laughs> So, um, you have some stuff to tell us. I do. I do. I have scary stories. April sent out the, uh, the smoke signal for scary stories from our childhood or our past. And okay. So I'll give you a little background. So I lived in Sonoma County and I worked at a ranch and vineyard, uh, doing hospitality for a winery. And this property was one of the most beautiful places you've ever seen in terms of the landscape. You kind of come around this like curvy winding country road and it opens up into this beautiful valley and it's these like gorgeous vineyards and redwood trees and it's all in this kind of little private basin. And the property itself is massive. It's like over 4,000 acres in Sonoma County. But the homestead down at the base of the property where kind of all the activity happened for my job um, is an old historical home that belonged to a family that came to California on a covered wagon and they had settled the property in the early 1800s and they, they were the Porter family. 
And then later in the 1940s, Fred McMurray, the actor, had purchased the property and done a lot of updating to the the home. And he lived there with his family, with his wife and his children, in between when they were filming, when he was filming movies or when he was filming My Three Sons. Like that was kind of their escape from Hollywood. After Fred McMurray passed away, the property was purchased by the winery that I worked for. And then the vineyards were planted and everything. I worked on the property as the manager for hospitality. So we would basically give um, private tours of the property. We would host wine tastings there, wine tasting classes, and we would have meals. Um, Lots of times we would have groups for these like small intimate dinners. And so being the host, I would be the last one there at night in the dark. The property is beautiful. Again, I cannot say it enough, but as soon as the sun goes down and it is dark, it is dark. There are no streetlights. There are no floodlights. There are the lights from the house, and you're surrounded by 4,000 acres of vineyard and forest. It felt safe and fine and normal until you were the last one. It can be very creepy at night. It's also in the middle of the woods, so there's all kinds of critters. There's raccoons and squirrels. There's wild boars that run around the vineyard at night. Neither myself nor anyone else that I know ever got attacked by a boar. There were close calls for sure, but no one that I know personally ever got bored. (laughs) Now, the upstairs always was kind of a weird sticking point for me. I would give tours of the house and everything, but I would usually let the people go up and explore the upstairs on their own. I very rarely went up there because it just gave me bad vibes. The upstairs had been one bedroom in the original Porter family. When Fred McMurray redid the house, he turned it into like a Jack and Jill style bedroom for his two girls with a playroom in the middle. But because it was built for children, everything up there was really small. So like the ceilings are really low. Everything's kind of slanted because it's like an attic space. And all of the decor and the furniture up there that they had kept from the McMurray family, everything was for children. And you know this about me. In horror movies, I think children are the scariest thing that could ever happen. Like, even if it's not a scare, supposed to be a scary or haunted child, if a little kid pops up in a horror movie, I'm like, nope, that's the devil. Get it out. It's it's scary. I don't like it. So the upstairs was always just really creepy to me because it was old, small, cramped, and everything was decorated with like vintage children's items, like little baby cowboy boots and a tiny rocking horse. And like beds that are that were like extra small and extra low to the ground, like twin beds. I, it just it just gave me the creeps and I didn't like it. And occasionally people would ask me like, oh, you don't go up there. I'm like, no, and I never really say why. There was one day that I came to work and I was the first one there in the morning. I said I tried to avoid going upstairs. But if you're the first one there, you do need to go upstairs to turn all the lamps on and everything. And I remember getting there and a couple of the little girl's toys, the play model horses were out on the floor like they had been being played with. And I was convinced, you know, you always kind of try to talk yourself out of something scary. So I was like, oh, the whatever group was here last night for dinner, maybe they brought kids with them and they had come up here to play with the toys or something. So I asked when the girl got there who had worked the night before, I was like, oh, did that group last night have kids? And she's like, no, what are you talking about? And I told her why. I said, in the twins room, the toy horses were down and out on the floor. And she kind of got this weird look on her face. And she's like, I thought I heard something during dinner. 
but everyone was at the table. There couldn't have been anyone upstairs, so I like never went and checked. Fred McMurray's daughter also worked on the property and lived across the street. So she was there constantly and was just a complete wealth of information on the history of the place and what it used to look like and stories her dad would tell her and everything. And I remember the first time I asked her, like, come on, Kate, is is the house haunted? What she said to me was, well, whatever's here is nice. (laughs) So she had definitely felt something at some point as other people I worked with had and we had talked about like there's something there she said whatever was present she never got the feeling that it was evil or malicious you know she always just kind of acknowledged it but never was really scared of it but one of the guys I worked with G he had been there a long time and he would tell us this one story of the original family who lived there the Porter family They had a little girl who would have been around eight or nine or ten at the time that this supposedly happened. She got bit by an animal and got rabies. And the guy I worked with would always tell us that the ghost that haunted the upstairs bedroom was the ghost of the little porter girl. Because when she got rabies, her parents chained her to the oak tree in the front yard. So she went crazy and died chained to the oak tree. Which is, if true, absolutely horrifying. And I would haunt the shit out of that house too if that had happened to me. And I will never forget hearing that story for the first time. I remember going out to that oak tree and looking for like chain marks in the bark and being like, there's no way this is real. I did research where I went and looked at um, nearby cemeteries like the Healdsburg and Sonoma, town of Sonoma Cemetery, and went and looked up records to try and see if there was anyone by the name of Porter. And I did find a little girl that would have died around the time, and she would have been like 10 or 11, according to the dates on the gravestone. It seemed real because enough people had heard the story, and... I found those records that kind of fit the story. So I never really knew if I believed it or not, but it always stuck in my mind. As I worked there longer, a couple of different things happened. I remember the first time I brought my sister to see the property. And most people show up to the property and they cannot stop talking about just how beautiful it is. The trees and the big oak tree in the front and how charming the house is and everything. But I bring my sister there and she takes a half a step through the kitchen door and goes, whoa and steps right back out. And I kind of turned around, I'm like, what, what's wrong, what's going on? She's like, it feels weird in there. And I was like, what, what do you mean? She's like, I know this is gonna sound crazy, but I feel like the second I walked in, I could almost like visualize it like it looked before. Like that table wasn't there and there was something over here. And she kind of started like pointing out what was different. And the last thing she said is, there was an old man sitting over there. And I was like, nope, we're out. We got to go. I'm not giving you a tour of this house today. We are leaving. (laughs) She felt like she had a weird, she called it an overlap experience, where like she was seeing the present and the past at the same time. She could kind of see like a a weird like shadow of what it used to look like. And in describing where all the things were, there was an old man over in the corner. I've never been that sensitive to those types of things at all, but my sister is really sensitive and pretty in touch with that kind of stuff. So we had a senior wine ambassador um, that had been there a lot longer than any of the rest of us at that time, and she swore up and down that over the years, she had seen something in the mirror in the dining room, 
when she would be leaving and locking up for the night. The way that the room is set up, it's long and skinny. You were essentially looking at yourself in the mirror from across the room, and then you turn the lights off. And she would say that sometimes right as the lights went dark, she would see a flash of something in that mirror. And she described it like seeing something out of the corner of your eye. You, you can't exactly name it. You can't identify what it was, but it was something. So, yeah, lots of things happened in and around the house that weren't really that weird on their own. But one common thread was everyone's experience with the light in the little girl's upstairs bedroom. That light seemed to have a mind of its own. So when you're there and you're working an event, the last job that you would have to do in closing up the property after the caterers had left, you would have to do a sweep of the house, make sure nobody left any personal belongings, straighten things up. And the last thing you had to do was you had to go through the house and turn off all the lights as you walk through the house, basically from top to bottom, end to end, because there was only one exit door where you could set the alarm and leave from. So when you close up, you have to start in that upstairs bedroom, the little girl's room, and the staircase is super, super skinny and steep and dark. There was no light in that staircase. So you have to turn off the lights to the upstairs bedroom and then immediately turn around and descend down this pitch black stairway to get to the living room and emerge back into light. And everyone kind of agreed, like, you can't leave the upstairs bedroom having left a light on and not notice once you get to the stairs. But multiple people, not just me, had the experience of turning all the lights in the house off and then go to cross that big, wide front lawn to get back to the parking area. And you would notice a patch of light on the lawn. So you would turn back and look in the far corner of the little girl's bedroom. The lamp would be back on. The first time it happens, you kind of are like, okay, I'm dumb. I forgot that one light. But if it happens multiple times, you know, people freak out a little bit. So I would go back in and turn it off, but other people would be too scared and would literally say, screw it and just leave it on overnight. And a couple of years later, um, we get a new guy that started working there, Peter. Him and I, another girl that we worked with who I was very good friends with, Liz and G, the one guy who told the rabies story, all four of us were working an event together. We, we finally get the group out of there. It's like well after midnight. So we get ready to leave. And one of the guys goes, oh, hey, like we didn't close up the house. And so they're like, OK, like, let's all go and we'll just get it done fast. And, you know, then we can all leave. One of the guys went upstairs. The rest of us did the downstairs. We all met back up in the kitchen. OK, are we all here? Great. Set the alarm. Let's skedaddle. As we're walking across the lawn, I look back and I'm like, you guys, the light upstairs is on. And the newest guy was the one who had been upstairs. He swears he turned it off. And we're all like, we know it's happened to us too, but like, we got to turn it back off. He's like, well, I'm not going up there by myself. And so all four of us walk up the stairs, and it, which is ridiculous because the stairs are so narrow. Four people in that stairway has got to be some sort of like fire code hazard. We go upstairs. He turns the light off. It's pitch black now. So we all like scurry down the stairs, super scared, and walk back out. We're halfway across the lawn, and I see that square patch of light turn on on the grass in front of us. I whipped around so fast, I'm surprised I didn't break my neck. It's 
it's back on. It just turned back on. And everyone turns around and looks at it and we all look at each other. And there's that moment of like, well, I'm not going back up. But G was kind of egging us on like, no, we have to go back in there. We have to go back in there. He's like, maybe this is our chance to meet the spirit. And we're all like, shut up, G. Like, But all of us ended up going back into the house and going up the stairs. And it's even more ridiculous this time because nobody wants to be first. So there are four of us on these super narrow, skinny, dark stairs, literally pushing each other up to try to not be the first one. I end up being the first one at the top of the stairs. I get to the top, I turn the light off, I turn back around, and as I'm at the top of the stairs, the light turns on. And I'm looking down at all their little faces, like in the stairway, kind of peering around, and everyone's face just drains, like, holy shit. So we go tearing down the stairs and out. And now we're all sitting on the lawn like, what the f*** do we do? We didn't even bother to set the alarm as we left. And I kind of get like weirdly brave. And I, I'm like, nope, I'm going back up there. It's I'm not just going to turn that lamp off. I'm going to unplug it. And the guys are now freaked out. They're like, we're not going back in. I'm like, you big babies, you have to come back in with us. They're like, nope, we'll come in the house and we'll stand like by the kitchen door. But we are not going in that side of the house. We're not getting close to those stairs. So I convince Liz, my friend, I like drag her with me. I'm like, no, we're going to end it. It can't turn on a lamp that's unplugged, right? G, genius that he is, is like, why don't you guys bring candles? Like, that sounds horrifying. Why would I want flickering candlelight? But he's like, no, 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 there's candles in the kitchen. There's candles in the kitchen. So now, like a Jane Eyre heroine, I've got a lit candle in one hand and Liz like grabbing onto my arm from the other side as we like slowly creep up the stairs. We get to the top of the stairs and I'm like physically pulling her with me into the room because I don't want to go by myself. I get halfway across the floor and the lamp doesn't just go off, but it starts flashing off on, off on, off on, off on, off on. And I was like, nope, no, no, no. We have upset it. It is time to leave. So we both go running down the stairs. I I pushed Liz so hard. If she would have been one step further, I might have actually like killed her. And we come barreling into the kitchen and we're telling the boys, oh my God, oh my God, the light, it flickered on and off, it flickered, it was flickering on and off. They don't believe us. They're like, no way, no, it didn't. We're like, we are not going back up there. If you guys want to turn it off, you can turn it off, but we're done. So we leave. We walk out across the lawn and the light upstairs is on and we all just kind of look at it for a second and they're like, oh, it's flashing, huh? It's flashing. And then the light just turns off as we're all sitting there looking at it. And we're like, okay, well, it doesn't want to play anymore. We're out of here. I never went upstairs again. Um, I think it was almost a year later, maybe 10 months or so later. I've now told everyone that I know and that I work with. And Liz was like kind of having this conversation. She's like, remember that night, man? That was so crazy. Like, remember how that went? I remember how scared we were. And I was like, yeah, I like, I'll never forget it. That was the scariest thing that's ever happened to me. And her and G look at each other and kind of start smiling. And Liz goes, you have to tell her because we're leaving. And I'm like, what do you have to tell me? What are you talking about? Apparently, they thought it would be hilarious to play a prank on me weeks 
before that event. They went to Home Depot and bought a remote-controlled switch for lamps, and they swapped out the cord. So they had been turning the light on and off remotely while we were all together. And at the time, Liz didn't know about it, so she was legitimately just as scared as I was. They told her much later, but they told her, don't tell Joy because she's still so freaked out she won't go upstairs. But here's the thing. Peter, who was the one who had the clicker and was turning the light on and off, he swears on his life that he never made the light flicker that crazy way it did when Liz and I were up there for the last time. Swears. That's why they didn't believe us when we ran back downstairs to tell them about it. They really did think that we were trying to scare them because Peter, by that point, had stopped clicking it. Did, did anyone have that same experience with the lamp again, where it would turn on after they had turned it off? So other people did have experiences with that, but eventually I removed that lamp. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Eventually, <laughs> I, eventually I, I actually didn't remove it myself because I wouldn't go back upstairs. But when a new wine ambassador started that didn't really know anything about the stories, I had her go upstairs, unplug the lamp, and I put it in a closet. No matter what their role in it was on that, particular night that lamp and that room had had weird occurrences and and other people had experienced weird things there for years i will swear up and down until the day that i die that they were not the only ones playing a joke and it is really good to know that in times of absolute fear and panic my initial reaction is just to push my friends downstairs in front of me (laughs) every man for themselves Thank you, everyone, for listening to Episode 2 of Whistle in the Dark. If you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. The first season will be released every other week, so stay tuned for Episode 3 on June 17th. If you'd like me to tell any spooky stories you have, please submit them to whistleinthedarkpod. That's whistleinthedarkpod, P-O-D, at gmail.com. You can also find us on Instagram and TikTok at whistleinthedarkpod or on Twitter at thewhistledark. See you next time. Well, it can't all be winners, folks. Bye.